in any terrorist attack that I've covered as an investigator so far, it's always the propaganda that has a pivotal role in the radicalization pathway. I think it was very important for law enforcement agencies to acknowledge that the online presence of a terrorist organization is as important as the physical presence. Welcome to the Europol podcast, the official podcast of the EU Agency for Law Enforcement Cooperation. In this series, we shine a light on some of the biggest operations Europol has supported and how we continue to fight crime. Today's episode, Shutting Down Online Extremists. Terrorism remains a significant threat to the internal security of the European Union. As a result, EU law enforcement authorities remain vigilant and united in fighting the threat. Here at Europol, we monitor for and counter terrorist threats from our European Counterterrorism Centre. One of the main ways terrorists recruit others to their cause is propaganda. It takes many forms misinformation and disinformation blog posts, videos, social media posts, you name it. By putting out propaganda, these groups target the disaffected and vulnerable. And the more people the propaganda radicalizes, the better. These terrorist and extremist groups operate, usually, at the edges of society. But in 2014, the world was confronted by the rise of so-called Islamic State, or IS. IS took large swathes of territory in the Middle East, beckoning a reign of terror for all those trapped in IS-controlled lands. Suddenly, a radical and violent extremist group was operating not like a fringe group, but as if it was a real country. IS decided they would invest in a modern, Western-style central news agency. A news agency that would spread the news as they wanted it told, so that they could reach around the world and spread their violent rhetoric far and wide. That news agency was called AMAK, and in this episode, we'll meet the dedicated people who brought it all down. And the idea was to mimic exactly what a news agency will do in order also to give the Islamic State some kind of an image of a state. This is Camille, who works at the Europol in the ECTC, the European Counterterrorism Centre. So my name is Camille. I'm working for the Counterterrorism Centre at Europol. And I'm a city specialist working for the EU IRU, which is the European Union Internet Referral Unit within the Counterterrorism Centre. The EU Internet Referral Unit was founded in 2015. Its role is to support internet investigations and provide strategic assessments regarding extremism and violent terrorist content. They work on a wide range of topics, conducting all kinds of interventions to limit the reach of terrorist groups online. Terrorist propaganda is not protected by freedom of speech due to its inherent nature of inciting violence, causing harm and threatening national security. It promotes and glorifies terrorism, which directly contradicts the principles of human rights, democratic values and the well-being of society as a whole. So when it came to the Amak case, Camille had actually worked as a journalist before joining Europol. And when an investigation into a jihadist terrorist news agency came up, she leapt at the opportunity to dig deeper. So AMAC was created in 2014 during the siege of Kobani. The idea for the so-called Islamic State was to create a news agency that will report on what was happening on the battlefield 
in order to counter what the mainstream media, into bracket, uh, news report will say about the siege of Kobani. In 2014, IS was trying to overtake a region of northern Syria, and as part of that, a MAC was set up to disseminate reports from the battlefield, along with IS propaganda and misinformation. They were publishing breaking news or just leads to report about an attack, uh, progress on the battlefield or a new institution that will provide, for example, education for the kids or they will uh, depict how the market is progressing for the Islamic State, how much the life was really well organized and ruled by the Sharia under the Caliphate. A mix of battlefield news coupled with propaganda extolling the virtues of the IS regime meant Amak could attract an audience. But Amak's success was down to more than just the content. The structure of the agency was what made it unique. The media department of the Islamic State was very keen into using our means of communication and they would flood social media, such as the platform like Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, to disseminate the content that they were producing, videos, but mainly on a daily basis. But they also created in 2015 an application for Android phone. And then in 2016, they started to build a resilient infrastructure of websites, but also add-ons, this kind of like a proxy that will allow the people that want to consume the information produced by Amac to follow up on which website will be up or down. So Amac was more than just a website. It was an app, a social media feed and a news website, all in one. In fact, it was several websites made available tactically so that law enforcement wouldn't be able to block the links or take them down. Amak also used instant messaging apps, such as Telegram, as an initial point of publication. From there, supporters could take the propaganda and push it into mainstream platforms. The scale was huge. One question you might be asking is, how come a terrorist organization knew enough about modern media to do this? So, actually, it's known that the creator of Amak was a former journalist from a regular media in Syria. And he used all the things that a regular journalist will use to create the agency. This person was supported by the people that joined the rank of the terrorist organization, including foreign fighters coming from European Union member states. So radicalized experts in their own territory, plus a batch of foreign fighters with IT and journalism skills. Amak was a content powerhouse. And thanks to the skills of their recruits, Amak's content was very high quality. They gained a wider audience as our mainstream media started to use the content produced by Amak to share it on regular news reports. And this is part of the very keen communication strategy of Amak and the Islamic State. Using this news agency, they gain a lot of soft power. The power of Amak soon became clear. When countries in Europe and beyond acted to prevent their citizens from travelling to join IS in 2015, jihadist attacks outside IS territory became a key strategy for the terrorist group. And when fighters made their videos claiming responsibility for their atrocities, Amak was the outlet where they'd be published. Orlando, Paris, Brussels, Manchester, just a few of the heinous attacks where the video claiming responsibility was published on Amak. 
The Mark was also churning out violent propaganda of its own, videos showing violent clashes, executions, and all kinds of content that would galvanize supporters and terrorize their enemies. Meanwhile, police officers in Europe were homing in on the threat of Amak. At the desk of one specialist in Belgium, the first leads were being developed. They were very good at disseminating publications that were of a very high quality. Once I saw the publications from Amak, it was clear that there was a new level of uh, propaganda activity and, and strategy behind that. And also the dissemination was quite different and very well thought out. The online platforms was really uh, a new step when it comes to terrorist propaganda. This is Frederick. My name is Frederick. I'm a senior specialist at the moment at the EU Internet Referral Unit here at Europol. But before that, I was a counter-terrorist investigator for six years with the Federal Judicial Police in Belgium. The case began for Frederick in Belgium when a new piece of information came in from a separate law enforcement agency, sent via Europol's Secure Information Exchange application, which is called Siena. Siena is a tool developed by Europol, and it allows reliable and secure operational information exchange. It's got built-in state-of-the-art data protection audit logs and other features that ensure confidentiality and integrity in the system. They shared a list of IP addresses that uh, were circulated through international channels without much context. And since I was the one in the unit who could make most sense of an IP address, they uh, gave me that list and basically said, look into it and see what you can find out. The IP addresses were the result of a previous chapter in this investigation where they managed to procure a list of visitors to a website that was known for issuing or publicizing terrorist propaganda branded with the AMAC logo. The branding is also a very important aspect of that, let's say, next level propaganda approach. It didn't take Frederick long to turn these IP addresses into actionable intelligence. After doing some internal and international cross-checks, we identified known targets, known foreign terrorist fighters that were linked to those IP addresses. As soon as we had that connection, we were in the possibility of a identifying the rest of the IP addresses to find out who else was connected to that network. And from there, Frederick was able to get rid of the irrelevant data and focus on his targets, the people behind AMAC. Of course, most of those IP addresses are irrelevant. They're, they can be law enforcement, they can be researchers, they can be just ordinary citizens with no harmful intent. But we focused on those three persons of interest and continued to investigate those. And as, once we had relevant information to share and also connections to other member states, then we got in touch with Europol and uh, it kind of took off from there. Frederick was now driving an international counter-terrorism investigation. He was working with police in EU member states and at Europol, overseen by prosecutors in his home country of Belgium. He was also looking for private companies, such as online service providers, who'd be able to assist him in limiting the reach of Armak's propaganda. In any investigation, what you're really trying to do is to find the perpetrators and put them in front of a judge. But often, that's a very simplified version of reality. The job consists of several steps identifying the persons of interest, capturing them, interrogating them, and finding the proper evidence against them. In this case, the persons of interest were foreign terrorist fighters. They could be abroad, they could have returned, they could have died in the conflict. So it was very hard to, um, 
to pin all this on a single person. And realistically, considering the scope and the decentralized nature of the propaganda network, it's very unlikely that it was led by one or uh, a couple of people. So the other option that was open to us was to really disrupt their activity. Law enforcement realized that their best bet at tackling Amak was to go after its content and infrastructure, rather than seeking out individuals. So the main focus in the beginning was to track their uh, publication. So there was a fixed time where they would release the monthly issue of a publication. And we, together with the, the IRU again, tracked dissemination of that content and try to take down as much of those links that we could find as possible. But after a while, we found that just taking down the links is not sufficient if we can't look at the structure or the organization behind it. So we really went looking to other possibilities to put a stop to this uh, propaganda machine. And one of them was to map the infrastructure, which identified certain servers and communication channels that we could then uh, target. With this new strategy, the investigation became a cat-and-mouse game, with law enforcement just one step behind Amark's operators. Servers and server farms were identified, with many seizures taking place. It was at this point investigators understood how much IS had invested in Amark. Despite the server seizures and other actions by law enforcement, their news agency endured. How were IS doing this? Well, the answer came when Frederick looked to the skies. Quickly, you learn that they attract all kinds of people. They attract scientists, they attract drone pilots, they attract IT specialists. And Islamic State was very good at uh, bringing together those people and making sure they can work in their specialty to further advance the cause. So yeah, at that point, I wasn't really surprised anymore that they managed to, to develop a network like this on this scale. On top of the countless servers, proxies and add-ons used to hide its origins, Frederick uncovered that Amak was even using satellites to protect its position on the internet. We definitely didn't have the experts on satellite communications in the Belgian Federal Police, but they were also not really readily available here at Europol, so we decided to reach out to the company and did some interviews to find out the expertise that we lacked, which also led to some interesting results. By interesting results, Frederick means he was able to map out nodes on the AMAC network. AMAC secrets were being revealed. However, the agency continued spewing out its extreme terrorist propaganda. They were polluting all our information. I don't know if you can remember, but in 2016 and 17, not only we were hearing about what was happening on the ground, but everything was online. And daily, this content was publicly available. So any kind of citizen could see the content on a daily basis. And the content was very galvanizing and also very gory sometimes. One thing, they were reporting about what was happening on the battlefield. So imagine seeing video of clashes on the ground. So you had content that will show the corpse of the people that they killed on the ground. They were also using methods for instilling fear. So you will have execution on public spaces in the caliphate that will be broadcast by Hamak. And it will be reachable by any kind of internet user. So one of our mission was to reduce the possibility to disseminate this content on all those platforms. And those platforms were very responsive. 
While Frederick was building the international cooperation, Camille and the colleagues in the Internet Referral Unit were taking action against Amac's content and infrastructure. Europol was building partnerships with private companies and online service providers who could assist police in blocking the reach of Amac. In fact, three action days took place in 2017, each seeing Camille and her team shutting down servers, channels, websites, apps and social media profiles belonging to Amac. So not only we were outreaching to the platforms, the social media platforms, but also the hosting providers. So those cross-checks led to build up some kind of uh, team to address the content on one side and to analyze the infrastructure on the other side to put in place some kind of a strategy to take down those web assets. As a result, its online presence was reduced to its initial mode of dissemination, instant messaging apps. We forced them to go in other kind of means of communication. And actually, they changed their communication strategy in 2017. They were uh, under attack because the coalition was pressuring them on the ground. And they were under attack online as well, because we were pushing them in platforms where the public will not see them. Amak was running out of places to hide online. They stopped procuring and managing websites. So they started to invest a lot into encrypted messaging application like Telegram and others in the future. They used a lot WhatsApp as well to disseminate the content. But where they master it is that they use the features of those messaging applications in order to create still a one-to-multiple communication. Amak was diminished, but not gone by retaining their core operations in messaging apps and telling trusted supporters to push the material from there into the mainstream, Amark endured. What Amark's operators didn't know was that Europol was now working with the messaging applications, including Telegram, in their mission to take Amark and its violent jihadist messages down. A fourth action was planned for 2018, and this one was different. In preparation for the final push against Amak, Camille had been focusing on the IS magazine that was disseminated via Amak. It was published on a regular basis via a closed Telegram channel so that police could predict when it would go live. The investigators then devised a plan. They would watch how the magazine travelled from that original point of publication and law enforcement would chase it across cyberspace. After that, the job is simple crash all the infrastructure in sight, creating a shutdown so great that IS would forever be banished back to the corners of the internet. It was a tremendous amount of work for us. First of all, because they were very clever in building operational security. However, their operational security wasn't enough. On the action day, hundreds of experts from law enforcement, judicial authorities and online service providers came to Europol and were ready to act as one. Frederick had even been able to bring in a prosecutor from Belgium. And they were able to write and issue subpoenas on the spot, so law enforcement could continue following the magazine, respecting legal and ethical rules the whole way. On the day of the action, Amak published the regular monthly IS magazine on its Telegram channels. 15 accounts, controlled by extremists, then started spreading the message as they usually would. But this time, they were in for a surprise. The online service providers that Amak relied on were now aware their products and services were being abused 
and they were all watching the magazine make its final journey. So it was six days and nights where we were flagging constantly where they were popping up in those kind of like uh, fair. You have those. They were trying to see their content online and we were there flagging it to the platform or the platform detecting it because they put in place some detection as well. At the end of the six days, the impact of the takedown was massive because Telegram was a safe haven and they were not ready for that. And what they were not expecting is that Telegram went beyond what we referred to them. They prevent the people that were using their platform to be able to recreate an account. So Telegram took action behind what we asked them. The tight partnerships with tech companies were paying off. Telegram and others took decisive action against Amak's abuse of their platform, forcing Amak to migrate to other platforms and recreate their groups and communities every single time. And so, yeah, every reiteration would be smaller than the previous one. And so the, the, the strength of that network disappears or starts to diminish. You had actual ISIS supporters on Telegram saying like, where do I go? Like, where, what's happening? Where, is, where are things happening? <laughs> and people actually didn't know where these links were being posted, how to join these channels. This is Amarnath Amarasingham. Amarnath Amarasingham, I'm an assistant professor in the School of Religion, uh, cross-listed to the Department of Political Studies at Queen's University in Ontario, Canada. Amarnath is an expert in terrorist and extremist propaganda, and he's the author of a UK research and innovation report, co-authored with colleagues at King's College London, that assesses the impact of the final takedown. It was like the entire ISIS media apparatus uh, was taken down. And, um, you know, in our report, we have uh, this kind of chart where it literally shows the November drop-off, right? The, the November 2019 post is a particularly tall bar on the bar graph, and then it just kind of falls off a cliff. And interestingly and importantly, stays fallen off the cliff. You had a 66% drop of original posts and a 95% drop of forwarded posts, right? And so so you're looking at 470,000 forwarded posts in the 30 days beforehand and only about 24,000 in the 30 days after. And so it, it was this kind of major difference that just in terms of the content that was taken down, for one, uh, the outlinks also dropped dramatically. Channels uncovered in previous actions had survived sometimes for as long as 300 days, but the pressure stayed on after this final action. Amak tried creating new channels, but they'd rarely lived longer than two weeks. A dramatic difference. They did create the channels elsewhere. They just didn't have the same following um, as they had on Telegram because they kind of scattered themselves uh, so thinly across multiple platforms. And those networks didn't know how to recreate themselves because they couldn't find the necessary links. You had several supporters very suspicious after the 2019 action day that these new channels that were popping up on Rocket Chat or wherever were actually legitimate. They didn't know how to actually tell that this was a legitimate ISIS channel that had popped up in another platform. So they were terrified that it was created by the FBI or uh, created by other, you know, other law enforcement. And, and, and so things became quiet because of that. Because they were clandestine organizations and they, they never shared their real names, they never shared their real identities with each other, there was no other mechanism by which to establish that trust, right? It was just like, I only know you through your kunya. I only know you through your single presence on this single platform. If someone with your kunya showed up on an entirely separate platform, how do I know that this is you? 
and how do I know I can trust you, right? And and so all of that contributed to uh, the kind of disintegration of that community. After years of pushing the violent extremist propaganda of the so-called Islamic State, Amak's operators realized the game was up. Law enforcement had outsmarted them, and they stopped investing in the proxies, the servers, and the other tools that had kept their terrorist news agency alive. These days, if you want to find their propaganda, you have to look in the deepest and darkest corners of the internet. By working together, law enforcement, judicial authorities, and online service providers had effectively put a stop to IS attempts to reach the mainstream. So this takedown, and thanks to the effort of the Belgium authorities, not only the law enforcement authorities, but also the judicial authorities that took the lead and served subpoenas to the platform in order to identify the people behind. We were able to locate supporters of the Islamic State that were supporting the structure online of the Islamic State and were in our member states. So those cases popped up one after another. The takedown allowed us to identify and attribute the dissemination of content of IS online. And so a lot of those supporters were arrested. The disseminator was arrested and the people remaining are very few. Actually, and when we arrest people, it's very committed supporters, no longer just consumers. And people started to be scared because after the takedown of Telegram, they saw that they could be identified. And the fact that the member states, Europol and the platforms went public to say, okay, it's no longer possible for IS to abuse the means of communication that regular citizens are using for freedom of expression. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Europol podcast. Be sure to rate, review and subscribe so you get notified about new episodes. You can also mail us via the Europol website. We'd love to hear what you think of the show.